Hey, what is going on everyone? It's me, Mr. Mario, and welcome back to another episode of Mario's Minute. In case you do not know, Mario's Minute is a monthly podcast I like to do where I talk about really whatever the hell I want to. Now, this is a podcast that comes in two variants. It comes in the visual format here, which is available on the Mr. Mario 2011 YouTube channel. And there's not too much visually going on. It's just kind of my background image and a visualizer that I tossed up there. And of course, because this is a podcast, it's available on most major podcasting platforms. Just go to whatever your favorite podcasting app or service or platform is, look up Mario's Minute, and you'll be able to check it out there. In case you want to listen to this like an actual podcast, who would have thought that? Anyways, again, this is kind of just where I talk about whatever the hell I want to on here, and it's going to be I myself because unfortunately I do have to break the streak of bringing on guests. I've actually been a little more swamped and a little more busy than I would have predicted for July this year, uh, July 2020, even in the midst of everything. And uh, I did not grab a guest. Um, part of it was, admittedly, there wasn't. There was a little bit of a lack of motivation. All right, I'm going to be completely honest with you. There was that, and a part of it was just me being busy as well. So even with all that, I'm literally recording this the night before this is supposed to go out. I said, you know what? It's easier for me to just coordinate with. I myself and this will work out uh, next episode I am going to plan to get a guest on I know I was pretty good about that starting at the beginning of last year I was planning on getting a guest every other month unfortunately it's been about a year and a half I, I do break the cycle and that is completely on me but hopefully we'll have some fun here just talking and such so, again, I, I kind of said that I've been a little bit busy here, and uh, what the hell have I been busy with in the midst of quarantine, in the midst of COVID-19, the coronavirus, all that stuff here? Uh, now, for anybody who doesn't really want to listen to this, you want some escapism, you could just skip ahead on here, that's fine. Uh, I've said before on a previous episode, I on purpose don't really talk about coronavirus stuff or integrate it into my content or anything. Uh, for a couple of reasons, uh, one of which being I think people need some escapism, and two, I don't think it needs to be injected into everything. The example I gave is something like, let's say I make a PS2 modding video, which I've done a few of those recently, but let's say, hold on, I'm gonna, Lily, stop chewing. Thank you. I don't know if you all heard that. You probably didn't, but it was in my ear. Anyways, let's say I make a PS2 modding video. If I make one right now in 2020 and I release it, even if I put a joke in there that's something like, oh, this is something that you can do because you have plenty of time now during quarantine, I just don't really like those dated jokes like that. Uh, and also, I I don't think if somebody, you know, even with the escapism thing again, if somebody is wanting to just have some fun, they picked up a PS2 and they just want to play it, I don't think they really need the coronavirus humor in there, but I do bring it up. Uh, I brought it up a few times on Mod Chat, if applicable, and also if I'm wanting to promote something related to it, and I bring it up on here. So I only keep it on my podcasts, but my actual core content, I really try and avoid it as much as I can. I have not put it into videos or any of that fun stuff. But even ironically with the quarantine thing, um, admittedly, I haven't done that as much because I'm still, you know, I'm masked up. I'm still going out here and there. I'm still pretty much limiting my exposure and such. Uh, but I have traveled a little bit. I've mostly been visiting some family. Um, so that's kind of what's been going on. But I've been visiting family and um, just a few 
people here and there. But it's kind of one of those things where my family is very much the type of people who they're taking it seriously. If they do go out, they mask up. Uh, some of them are germaphobes, so they're definitely cleaning up and all that stuff. Um, and really, I mean, just kind of bringing us together here, kind of getting a little bit of a sense of normalcy and togetherness. Uh, because at the beginning of this, I was actually thinking, oh, I'm probably not even going to see some of my family this year. Uh, but I've managed to at least, you know, the family I have that is in the U.S. So that's at least been nice. And even then, it's funny because I had... Um, it's kind of been alternating, so even if I don't go visit someone, I might have a family member visit me. And it's been funny because when I had family visit me for a bit, I was very much like, they, they were typically, you know, we'll go out, we'll do things, whatever it is. And I said, hey, when y'all come visit, we really can't do that like we used to for obvious reasons. And they said, yep, totally fine. But then I think they were kind of taken aback because they kept asking like, hey, so what do you do? What do you want to do? What do you think we should do? I'm like, guys, I don't do anything. Like, I'm not, I'm not depressed or anything. No, it's fine. I'm pretty damn happy in life right now. Um, but I, I don't, I don't do anything. I don't go out to random places all the time. I don't just like walk around these places. I'm not trying. There's days where I, I guess I still go out daily because of my dog, but I don't go out and do things is what I mean beyond that. Like e even my grocery shopping, I grocery shop once a month. I've talked to you all about it on here. I do it once a month. That's my goal. I typically do it at Costco. So I just do it all in one go. I get all the shit I need. I bring it back. I'm done at that point. A uh, little other one-off stuff I might order online here and there, but I really do limit that. And I know that it's been, it's been pretty much confirmed at this point. If you're outside, there's not too much you have to worry about. We're talking about big open air and everything. So even if, like, I walk my dog, I physically avoid other people, but I don't wear a mask. But anytime I'm going inside somewhere, I am wearing a mask. And I try and limit my exposure and all that fun stuff. So that's kind of what's been going on with me, just keeping it real, real brief. Um, I've had family visit me. I visited family members. That's kind of been either during the week or on weekends and such. Uh, and it's been, I mean, it's been surprising for me as well too. But the biggest thing is really just, you know, I wash my damn hands. I, <laughs> I try to physically stay away from other people and you can make it work out. Um, even with traveling and such, I, I do not do planes. I refuse to get on a plane. Uh, I'm not going to be eating in a restaurant. I don't do dine-in. I don't do any of that stuff. I know some people who actually started doing that. They said, oh yeah, I just like to get, you know, back to a sense of normal. I had to do that. I'm not shaming anyone that does that. If you do that, hey, more power to you. Just exercise caution for yourself and for other people. That's all I'm going to ask you to do. But I just tell people, I'm like, that's cool you do that as long as you're taking all the precautions. I'm just not going to do that. One of my friends actually even had, I don't know if she did this, I need to check up on it, but she had a birthday get together and she was saying, and I felt bad because last year it was very last minute and I missed out on it. And this year she invited me weeks in advance and she said, Hey, can you come out? It's going to be myself and some other people and we're all going to be eating at a restaurant. And I just right away said, I said, look, I love you. I would love to go. But right now, because of the circumstances, I don't feel safe at all. I'm going to wish you happy birthday. I will get you a gift remotely. Um, but I'm not going to go to a restaurant. And even though I'm sure your friends are lovely people, I'm just not going to go to a restaurant and dine in there with a bunch of people I don't know at the same table. But even I told her, I said, it's not just you. I'm not dining in at restaurant, 
period. By myself, with anyone close to me, with a friend, with a family member, nothing. I refuse to dine in at a restaurant. Because <laughs> places are also aren't handling this, um, how do I say, they're not handling it universally. Or there's, there's kind of different mix-ups here, even just little inconsistencies. I guess one example I could think of is I'd heard this secondhand. I didn't experience this because obviously I'm not in the restaurant. But uh, one of my friends was telling me that they went to a restaurant. And when they went, you know, you got to wait in your car. They really don't want you to wait in line. And then you go in and you have to wear a mask when you go inside. And you got to wear a mask when you go to the table. And then when you take, you can take off your mask at the table because you need to eat and drink stuff, obviously. All the waiters and waitresses are all masked up and such. And they just want you eating. Um, They're trying to get you food as fast as possible. They want you to scarf that down. They want to take your payment and get you out of there as fast as possible. Um, If you are doing anything that is not actively eating or drinking, like if you get up to go to the bathroom or if you're talking with someone or what have you, um, they're going to want you to get your mask on. And the idea there would be that when you're leaving, you put your mask back on and you start leaving. Um, some restaurants don't do that. They will enforce it coming to the table, but they don't enforce it leaving the table. So it's not universal. And I I hope it does get better. And if it's not obvious to everyone, uh, I live in the United States. So I say that because this is, this podcast has a worldwide reach, which I think is fantastic. Uh, but the U.S. hasn't handled it <laughs> very well. I'm just going to straight up say that. And that's not even a political thing right there. I don't care what side you're on or what you believe or what have you. Compared to other countries, we have not handled this very well at all. And it's really disappointing uh, because there's really nothing too big. There, there, There's no big handling of it from a federal level, unfortunately. It's kind of all handled state to state, sometimes even county to county. I know one governor, for example, and for anybody who I'm, I know some people who are listening to this in the U.S. are probably just going to be screaming that I'm explaining this, but look, I'm going to explain this to people who are outside of the U.S. And I did this one time before as well, too. One time I explained Halloween in, in, in a way like this, and people were saying, dude, why do you have to explain Halloween? Everyone should get it. And there's people who chimed in and said, I don't know. We don't celebrate Halloween where I'm at. There's nothing of the sort. It was actually really cool hearing his explanation. So when it comes down to it, U.S. as a country, it's divided up into 50 states. The states, they have, you know, cities and such, but there's also counties that they are separated by for the most part. And those counties could have multiple cities within them. So it's not just like a city-wide ordinance and such. So you're really, you're dealing with cities, then counties, then states, and then, you know, the country. And at country level, it's federal. So that's kind of just a quick and dirty TLDR of it. But there is at least one state I can think of uh, that they, the governor there has said that wearing a mask can be mandated by, he's mandating it on a per-county basis. So today he'll say, okay, these three counties, you have to wear a mask. And then, you know, two days later, okay, these other five counties, you need to wear a mask. And it's, look, in many states, I can drive 10 minutes and get to another county. Even being within the same city, I can drive five, 10 minutes, get into another county. So uh, most people don't even really care about the county. Some people barely care about the cities on that as well, like where all the dividing lines are and such. There's not going to be any outposts or checkpoints or, I mean, there's going to be barely be even signs 
that saying that you're leaving a county and such. Even if you do stuff on Google Maps, like with your GPS, it's going to tell you welcome to this state when you're going to a different state, but it's not going to do that for a city or a county. So point is, if you're driving around, you know, 20, 30, 40 minutes, you're going to hit different cities, you're going to hit different counties. Um, but one of the things I had heard with that, just kind of an analogy for doing it at a per county basis, not even a statewide thing. Like if you do it statewide, I mean, that's better, <laughs> better than this county stuff we're dealing with. But it's about the same as taking a pool and saying, all right, everybody can pee on the left side of the pool, but you can't pee on the right side of the pool. It's all going to get together. It's all going to get together. <laughs> It's just it, several aspects of it are disappointing. Um, and you know what? Even it's one of those things with me, you know, even if I if I believe I'm being careful and all that stuff, uh, even if I am contributing a bit to the problem of, you know, traveling here and there, having some family visit me, me visiting family, even trying to be as safe as possible, even if that is, you know, contributing to part of the problem, I'll acknowledge that. I'll get it. Yeah. Um, I myself right now, as soon as I came back, I said two weeks, bam, self-quarantine not dealing with anyone, not working with anyone, not, not doing that stuff. God imposes on myself. Cause also I feel like I was like, you know, I, I, I didn't have as much me time to myself as I would have liked in July. So, <laughs> you know, it is nice, uh, being in, it is nice having that in quarantine, but I said, Oh, you know, there was a lot that happened in one month. So I want to bring it back, but either way on there, there's a lot that's been mismanaged and such. And even, you know, People not wanting to wear a mask, it's really disappointing to see as well, too, because I'm wondering if anybody outside of the U.S., if you want to comment on this, you know, feel free to. Just I'm just going to ask, you know, do it civilly and such. I'm not trying to see any fights in the comments or what have you. I more want to see what other countries, like what individuals there think of the mask thing going on, uh, because there's such a strong movement against masks and there's people who've straight up said, now I've seen some, some people who've converted. Some people at the beginning, they said, I'm not going to wear a mask. And then um, they're they're wearing one now, uh, whether by choice or because they legally have to. It is what it is. But again, I'm one of those people. Um, I'm of the belief it's not a political thing. It's not hard to wear a mask. Just put a damn mask on. They're cheap enough. There's plenty of places now that are giving them out. It shouldn't be a hot topic debate. Just put it on. Even if people say it doesn't help out all that much, it's one of those things if it helps out even a little bit. I would rather it help out a tiny bit than none at all. And the way masks really help out is when everybody is universally wearing them. And I feel like if that was, you know, if that was pushed for requirements to wear a mask and such, like at a federal level where everyone had to do it, probably could have squashed this a bit more. Because at this point now, the world is quarantining the U.S., <laughs> And it's kind of embarrassing, in my opinion. It's it's a little bit disappointing to see, but oh well. I want to get off this topic. I don't really want to talk about this anymore, but that's kind of been, I don't know, whatever quarantine thoughts I have here. Uh, let's talk about some video games, right? Uh, let's do that. So it was leaked or revealed, so to speak, recently here um, that, what was the deal going on? $70 games, $70 games. PlayStation 5 and the Xbox Series X ushering in the new generation of game consoles this year, which I'm surprised it's still going to happen this year, but I guess it has to. Games are more than likely going to be $70 brand new, and I, I guess I kind of wanted to give my thoughts on it here, and I even like pulled up a calculator and all that stuff, so I'm kind of clicking around a little bit. 
But I know a, a lot of people were really against this at the beginning because uh, we've been so used to $6 games for a bit. And, dude, I get it. I get it. Yeah, $70 is a lot. That's not cheap. I, I still don't like paying $60 for a game. Uh, but they've been going up, you know, typically during these generations. And I'm thinking more... I've had to explain this to younger people, such as my brothers, where they were just so used to game consoles lasting like seven, eight, ten years for a cycle. Uh, well, that's not a full cycle, but like a seven-year cycle. They're used to that. Or $60 games, they're so used to that. So I've kind of had to explain in those terms, and I guess I'll explain it here, where it's like, first of all, game systems were not, like these game console cycles, I think it's great that they're going on longer and typically when it when a console generation starts for me or when a cycle starts that is when the console is released and to me in my eyes at least that cycle ends or i guess we could say is succeeded when the successor console releases so playstation 4 xbox one they released in 2013 they're going to be succeeded in 2020 bam you got a seven year cycle right there awesome if they are supported after that if they get long-term support that'd be great and that kind of happened because of sony like it was cool them to do but when the psp i i want to say no i want to say it was the psp and the ps3 around that time they started saying hey we're going to support our consoles for 10 years at minimum every single console we release is going to be at least 10 years and they were able to stretch the ps2 out for 10 years and, you know, even the PSP, the PS3, they were stretched us out for 10 years. And granted, I mean, you're thinking, yeah, PS3 in 2016, not much was going on. Uh, but, you know, at a technical level, they were supporting it. They had online access for it. They still do. Uh, they had new games coming out for it and such. They were selling the consoles on store shelves. Uh, at a minimum level, they had long-term support going for these systems for 10 years, which is awesome to see. That's pro-consumer. I think that's great. Now, when it comes down to it as well, even going back one console cycle further, so the Xbox 360, that was what, no doubt the longest one, that was an eight-year cycle. PS3, that was a seven-year cycle. Uh, I think the only system that generation, the Wii, that was the shortest one, that was six years, because the Wii U came out in 2012, to not much fanfare, unfortunately, so... Uh, you know, you're getting six to eight years for these for these console cycles, which was not normal prior. It, it used to be three to five years as opposed to so you could say an average of like four years as an average to seven years. And that ended up changing with the what is it? The seventh generation of game consoles. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, the seventh generation of game consoles. That's kind of when it switched around for anyone that doesn't know uh, and there were a few things that were going on with it and one of the main factors being the recession that was hitting everyone uh, because you know these consoles again they came out in 2005 2006 and the recession got really bad in 2008 2009 and you know it's not an overnight thing it has to recover so at that point you know going from 2005 to 2009 People really didn't want to buy another Xbox. They really didn't want to buy another PS4. And these companies knew about that. So what they did was they just extended out these systems. And they did. They also had some maintenance to do on them. You saw Sony ended up releasing a smaller, more budget-friendly, more 
eco-friendly, dare I say, power-friendly options of the PS3 with the PS3 Slim and the PS3 Super Slim. You saw uh, Xbox do the same thing with, well, Microsoft Xbox do the same thing with the Xbox One S and the Xbox One E, or man, I'm getting my systems mixed up, the Xbox 360S and the Xbox 360E, and this isn't even counting the five console motherboard revisions that they had for the Xbox 360 FAT system. (laughs) So they were were working on getting all that resolved as much as they could, just all the failure rates and such. But point is on there, uh, typically we were seeing price hikes for these generations. So even going back to it from you know the generation of the PlayStation 1 and that's more what I'm going to focus on there the PlayStation the N64 cartridges were expensive cartridges were expensive they weren't $40 some of them were but some of them were going to be a lot more and this was in the 90s and this is this wasn't even just limited to the N64 this is also the Super Nintendo there were very expensive Super Nintendo games So it was kind of nice when the PlayStation 1 came out and there were games pressed on CD-ROMs and pretty much at that point, the MSRP was, hey, a brand new game, 40 bucks. That's it. It doesn't matter what chips are going in there. It doesn't matter how much data is in there. $40, 40 US dollars for a brand new PlayStation game. And then the generation after that, they went from CD to DVD, 50 bucks. Then the generation after that, they went from... Pretty much every game was using dual layer discs or Blu-rays, but a new generation, a new price, 60 bucks. And then the odd thing was, which this actually surprised me last generation, like, well, this current generation, the price did not budge. It went from $60 to $60, which I was certainly okay with. But, you know, we are one, gen- dare I say, we're one generation overdue for a price hike in games. So if games are going to be $70, I guess they're going to be $70. I do know that game development is much more expensive than it used to be. And there's been multiple people in the industry who've said that charging $60 for a giant epic 100-hour experience, um, for the most part, unless you have a runaway success of a game, it is not feasible in terms of profitability. It simply isn't, which is why you see so many games going towards the microtransaction model. Even $60 games being bundled with microtransactions, being bundled with multiple seasons. That is one thing that really annoys me. Um, It used to be a, like, DLC when that started dropping. You got full expansions for games, which truly felt like you were getting a great, you know, just a great addition for your game that you weren't paying all that much for. And then they started releasing season passes, but they would release one season pass for a game because they said, hey, we're going to schedule this out. You know, over the next year, we're going to release three map packs. You can pay either $30 for them or get a season pass and pay 20 bucks. So you pretty much pre-order the DLC. So there was that that was going on. And that's a whole other debate as well, too, if you want to bring that up, because there were games that were already developed with that DLC in mind. And even some of it where the DLC was just bits of the core game that were pulled out so you're selling the core game with the base game itself for 60 bucks and then you sell the season pass for 30 dollars of which probably all the content in that season pass was already developed alongside the core game itself but was just pulled out and dropped into downloadable content files um so that that's a whole other debate on there i but either way 
either way on all this. And I, I will give an example that if people need an example, L.A. Noir. And the reason why I know that <laughs> is because the DLC was so specific. It was so perfectly laid out. And I bought that game and I bought the strategy guide with it. And the strategy guide, it, it was missing. Like, I mean, brand new, great condition, all that stuff. It's not like they were ripped out, but it was literally missing sections that were and those sections were dlcs that were going to be coming out or that did come out shortly after release so like i don't remember the exact thing i need to pull out the guide because i know i still have it but like one example is for example like let's say you go to act five and you have chapter one chapter two chapter four chapter five because chapter three was developed with the game but it was yanked out of the core game itself and then just resold to you as dlc and you had to download that so there was a lot of examples of that that were going on. The, the the one that directly impacted me the most, I would say, was L.A. Noir because I played the absolute hell out of that game from start to finish. Um, but either way, we've seen a lot more practices like that. We've seen companies trying to do nickel and diming more and more because of microtransactions, like I said, because we've seen that in free-to-play games, we've seen it in pay-to-win games, we've seen it in full $60 games, which that's what annoys me more. And I think it's just so ingrained in the industry as well that we're not really going to be able to get come back from that. Um, I know on the CU podcast they were talking about, what was it, uh, Patney, and they were talking about manuals and games physical manuals how they used to be really beefy and awesome and they got shrunken and shrunken and shrunken and then they kind of just became brochures and now there's many it's so rare to have even a little slip brochure when you buy a brand new game and it seems to be one of those things that people are kind of realizing now oh wait games used to come with manuals didn't they but games stopped coming with proper manuals i'd say about halfway through last generation so because uh, i remember clearly getting games in like 2008 2009 they started coming with like little tiny two three page just black and white manuals or a two three page or just like a flip cover type thing where it's like hey this is the game this is the licensing stuff this is what you do with the controller and then it just started becoming like nothing was in the box so that's that's been a thing for good god like 10 years at this point where manuals were phased out or even removed from brand new games and people are just now kind of starting to come around to it like wait a minute there used to be manuals with games right and it's like dude you should have realized this 10 years ago <laughs> i i know it probably doesn't bug a lot of people now but for the people that does it's like you know you're you, you've been gaming for most of your life you're 20 something years old you didn't notice this 10 years ago uh, i don't know that's that's my thought on it but either way either way getting back to the 70 dollar thing i talked about you know the, the price changes and such on here how it's not going to be super profitable because just just selling a game itself pure it's probably not going to get you the profits that you're wanting unless you have a very small very restricted budgeted development team or you have a runaway success like the witcher 3 giant epic amazing single player game beautiful game i mean they afforded to release tons of dlc for free on that which they were really bragging about and such and then the dlc you pay for uh that was very well worth it as well too and that's from a huge company that's from a huge development team tons of man hours tons of money dumped into it but it was a runaway success in every single definition. It was a complete runaway success. Not every single game can be like that, unfortunately. 
but I'm just looking at this here. So I'm using a inflation calculator just for this. So the US, infl it's, it, I'm at usinflationcalculator.com. And I just pulled, you know, like the year 2000, for example. So this is a PlayStation game. I'm going to be comparing it to 2020 US dollars. So 20 years ago in the year 2000, PlayStation 1 game cost 40 bucks. At this point, it costs $59.88. So, you know, we're paying for a brand new game right now with, uh, with everything adjusted. We're paying the same price 20 years ago once you adjust it for inflation. Now, if we're talking like when the PlayStation first came out, let me, let me say 1995, for example, calculating that, okay, it's still a little bit more. So 1995, $40 to now, that's $67.66. So I put 2000 just because that's when I think of, you know, the PlayStation. I don't know. I think of like 1998, 1999, 2000. That's kind of what's in my head. But either way, 20 years ago, a $40 PlayStation game is going to do the same damage to your wallet as a $60 PlayStation 4 game at this point. So that's good to know. Keep that in mind. 2005. Now we're kind of ramping up here. 2005. When the Xbox 360 dropped, $60 games, a $60 game for the 360 back then would be about $80 now, $79.20. That's exactly what it is. Even going to recent history now. So now 2013, brand new generation, brand new generation. We got, you know, new systems come out, but same price. So it's not as bad here, but $60 in 2013 would be $66.40 at this point. And then even so, when I talked about, because uh, the last uh, price I wanted to bring up here was those expensive cartridges. Now, it's nice we went to discs. Don't get me wrong, like CD-ROMs, DVD-ROMs, Blu-ray discs. Uh, that, that was good for, <laughs> for price and such for data and everything uh, because I had to look up old Super Nintendo prices, right? So I'm just looking at a, this is a Toys R Us ad. Toys R Us. In 1994, Donkey Kong Country for the Super Nintendo came out. And back then, it was $60. Actually, I'll even name off some of these right here. So uh, was it Stunt, is it, is that Stunt Racer? I think that's what it is. Stunt Racers, $60. Uh, that Ultimate Carnage game, $70. Shaq Fu. All right, Shaq Fu was $65. I don't know if I have to continue going on here any further. Back in 94, Shaq Fu for the Super Nintendo was $65, all right? That's why the PlayStation was doing better sales at times, because it was either you pay $65 for Shaq Fu or you get your favorite brand new game on the PlayStation for $40. Either way, I took Donkey Kong Country as an example here. But actually, no, I'm going to fix that. Let's just make it a little more painful. So Shaq Fu in 1994... For the Super Nintendo, it was $65 US dollars. I plug in $65 right here, right now, adjusted for inflation, 1994 to 2020. That'd be $113.07. <laughs> Thank goodness games are not that much at that point. But, well, that much here. But either way, either way, uh, what I'm saying here is uh, this all works out uh, when it comes to inflation, where it's just games need to increase in price here so that's why even people who are older than me when they're saying oh yeah games are sixty dollars games are seventy dollars they're like yeah they are expensive like again sixty dollars is a lot of money but again we're, we're, we're going to acknowledge that we're going to agree that right now sixty dollars brand new game that's a lot of money but then you bring up an example like shaq fu in 1994 was 65 dollars in 94 <laughs> So we're paying a lot less for a much better game 
right now. So I'm more okay with the the price going up to $70. Yeah, I'm probably going to be a little bit apprehensive buying some games at the beginning. I'm still going to be looking used. I'm still going to be looking for deals. And I'm sure deals are still going to be prevalent and they're going to be found. Because at this point as well too, if you're willing to wait a little bit, game prices, like games drop in price the way bananas age and turn brown. Um... A lot of times at this point now, I don't pick up a game on launch unless it's something I truly want and I want to support directly. Like, I have a personal thing with it, um, such as Deadly Premonition 2. Honestly, I want to support that. I like the Deadly Premonition series. I want to see it be successful. I picked it up day one. I know it's broken, all right? I know that it has its issues. I still picked it up just for the love of it. Uh, and then there's other games that I, I want to pick up just because... I'm selfish and I want to play it on the first day or the first week, all right? But if you're willing to wait like a week or two, uh, maybe even three weeks, a lot of times those games will go on sale or you can just pick up a, a used copy of it as well, either way. Uh, whatever's going to be in your best interest there. <sighs> I'm not sure where I was going at exactly with the $70 thing. Uh, it's very much a thing of, yes, I acknowledge it's, it's expensive. Yes, I acknowledge that it's going to be painful for our wallets. But yes, I also acknowledge that it's kind of a necessary evil that has to happen here. And that's not nearly as bad as paying $65 for Shaq Fu back in 1994. Because again, right now, it's $113.07. I don't think many people are going to pay $113.07 for a good game up front, let alone a bad game. So we'll just let that sink in there. Yeah. Let's talk about something not gaming related. So I've got a friend of mine who she's she's a great friend of mine, known her since high school. And it's funny because we've still been talking and such. It's myself, her and one of my other best friends. We have a group chat where we talk almost every single day on there. And right now she's staying with her parents because she is trying to look for a house. And she's got the money saved up. She's got the plan. She just needs the house to pop up. And right now, uh, everything is selling like hotcakes. Um, houses, especially, are selling super fast. Uh, any other property seems to be selling fast. Uh, even, you know, when it comes to video games, consoles, all that stuff that's more relevant to this channel here, all that is selling. I'll even pull another example I heard from the CU podcast because one of the hosts there, Ian, he works at a uh, he works at a local game shop in California, and he said that this has been happening a lot. There's people who are coming into his shop and they ask, "Do you have a PS4? Nope. Uh, okay, I used to. Do you have a PS3? Nope. Uh, I used to play on the Xbox a lot. Do you, do you have an Xbox? Nope." what is that system there? A Sega Genesis. All right, I'll take a Genesis in two games. Like, people are bored, and they just want something to play. They just want to pick up something. And you even see that process where they want the hotness, and it's not there. So they want something nostalgic, and it's not there. So they have to just settle. And people, like, so, 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 so many people are just settling when buying a game system so they might not be buying an original xbox or a sega genesis because they absolutely love the system they might just be doing it because they have some money to bore to burn and they are dying of boredom in their house and they just need something fun to play <laughs> something fun to mess around with but either way that's besides the point here so my friend, she's been looking for a house, but on the flip side, her parents have also decided to sell their own house because her dad likes to 
get a house, you know, rebuild it or just refurbish it, do a bunch of stuff to it, make it awesome, renovate it, do all this good stuff to it. And after a few years, if he can flip it, he likes to do that. The only problem is he he doesn't do house flipping with other properties. He does it with his own property. So it's the house that he lives in, the house that his family lives in, and that's what he does it with. And they feel their own way about it. But either way, uh, his house is now more valuable than it was when he purchased it a few years ago. And they're able to sell it, and they were able to get more than their asking price. And that's the other big thing. That's why a lot of people are choosing to sell their houses right now, and they are getting bought up super quickly uh, because everybody's in the market for a house it seems if you're looking for a house you, you have a lot of competition is what i'm saying and on top of that with the competition thing um in some places especially like where she lives it's to the point if you are interested in buying a house and you look at it if you like it you need to make an offer right there and you might not even be you might not have wiggle room at all you probably won't have wriggle wiggle room to negotiate where some people say oh yeah you can negotiate for a few days or no we can we can think about it for like a week or we can think about it overnight it's like no literally let's say a house is two hundred thousand dollars if you're going to sit there and think about it overnight before putting in an offer there's a good chance the next day it might sell to someone for two hundred fifteen thousand so you might have to put in more money than what it is and and that's what they did they were able to sell their house Within 24 hours, they were able to get more than the asking price. They were able to get their fees paid for, all that fun stuff by the buyer, which is great. But they are looking at other houses. And I guess they are pretty much trying to trade. They have a, they have a good house and a lot of land. But they're trying to minimize that land and have, you know, kind of a big house. So the dad is looking for a fixer-upper. And there is a house that they are deciding to get, which, oh my good, I just... Uh, my hands are on my head right now. Like, I'm one of those people, if I move in somewhere, I don't really want to do any maintenance to it. I just want it to be livable ready. That's my thing, right? Um, but they ended up finding a house. It was a pocket listing. So it's very much like it wasn't on the market just yet. It wasn't even on the market, period. They had to, like, the realtor they're working with would have to contact the, who is it? Contact the owner of the house, see if they can get a tour of it and just check it out and then put in an offer and then pretty much you know the the seller puts it on the market they take that offer it's sold that's how that works but but as i look at this house um it was cheaper than their current house so that's going to be the nice thing they'll, they'll be able to sell their house and then just buy this house outright in cash um, they're already planning to gut the entire thing and redo it and they're going to need to from this story and if you if you follow me on twitter you might have already seen this but they are they were touring this house <laughs> it's been abandoned for a few years it's old it hasn't been updated in decades, so this is an old house, and it's just had, like, it's just an old abandoned house. It's an old abandoned house, that's it. Um, I guess I'll cut right down to it. They went in the dining room, and they found a whole dead squirrel. Just like a dead squirrel posted up in the middle of the dining room, just laying there, eyes wide open, decomposing on the dining room floor. On the carpet specifically, because this house is old enough to the point where having long carpet in your dining room was the style at the time, all right? I'm going to say that didn't age very well, but damn, is that comfortable. If you've ever eaten at, like, if you've ever eaten in a room with some nice carpet underneath you and you're barefoot, it's very comfortable, all right? But very messy at the same time. 
very messy if you're going to be spilling things and such, which will happen when you're eating, of course. Um, but either way, <laughs> I've just still found this hilarious. I've been, I've been memeing about this. <sighs> Fucking dead squirrel house, I swear to God. Dead squirrel house. I don't know what else to say on there. <laughs> I just kind of want to share it because that's what I do on here. That's what I do for these episodes. Uh, but long story short on that, they are buying the house. And I think they just bought it for the asking price outright to make sure they get it. And uh, they're moving in there and they're doing all the renovations and they're doing the entire rebuild and the gutting and all that stuff as they're living in there. It's not my thing. It's not my way of living, but more power to you. But my God, just... <laughs> I'm talking, it's not like the squirrel was hidden in the attic, it wasn't hiding in the bushes, it wasn't, it wasn't hiding, that's what I gotta stress, the squirrel was not hiding, they went in, it's like you walk, imagine you walk in your dining room, and you just see a dead squirrel laid out eyes wide open, in, in, in your hallway, or in your dining room, or whatever the hell uh, another common area is, in your place of residence that's what was going on right there and it's just hilarious and disturbing to me all at once god damn <laughs> so bringing it back to gaming here i did want to talk about this because this was a issue that i ran into that i've never seen and i was so perplexed by it so when i was visiting my family uh, i have a couple younger brothers and I decided just as a just as a preventive maintenance and kind of personal project, I wanted to go in and I opened up both of their desktop computers. I cleaned them up real well. I repasted the CPUs on them. We were all good. But I did the same in their game systems. They got a PS4 Pro. They got I didn't do it on the switches, but they got a PS4 Pro. They got a 360, an RJ tag system I modded for them, and an Xbox One, like the original VCR model. So the Xbox One was the second system I did. And it's cool because the PS4 Pro, I've taken apart a couple before, so I had experience with that. Uh, those things are painful. My tip to you all, if you ever need to take apart a PS4 Pro, when you're taking off the top cover, uh, and I want to say, I think it is Adrian from my Discord server. Shout out to Adrian. Uh, Adrian's the one who had said this when taking apart his PS4 Pro. Get yourself an old towel or an old shirt. And you got to put that between your hands and the top cover of the PS4 Pro when you take that off. Because my God, especially if you haven't done it before, if you got a PS4 Pro that hasn't been opened, when you're popping off that top cover, oh my God, it is painful. And what I do is like, you kind of got to pull it from the back and you got to pull it from the left and then the right or whichever way. What I do is I pop it off from the back and then I go over and I pop up the left side as best I can. Then I put it down. Like, press it back in. Like, you know, clip it. And then I pop off the right side. And then I clip it. And I notice once I do that, uh, the plastic has... Weakened is not the term. But the plastic has gotten to the point where it is now easier to unclip the both of them. So then I go back to the left and I work my way around to the right. And I did that this time around on a system that had never been opened, uh, and I was able to get the top cover off within a few seconds, thankfully. But my God, if you've never done it before, oh my God, that is painful. Get yourself an old shirt or a towel. A towel's probably gonna be better. But either way, I had taken apart their uh, VCR Xbox One, and I'd only taken apart like a couple Xbox Ones before, and it was years ago. I have more experience with the Xbox One X now at this point than the original Xbox One in terms of opening it up and such. But 
what I did was I had taken it all apart, I cleaned it up, I repasted it, and then I put it back together. And then I noticed that the controllers wouldn't connect. And oddly enough, even when I physically connected my controller, like through a micro USB cable, um, it's, I still couldn't do anything. And then I couldn't even check if I could get on Wi-Fi because I think we had disabled the internet on there. Uh, we were doing some testing and such, so I had physically disabled it within the Xbox One's settings. But what happened on there was I couldn't get the controller connected. And I sure as hell couldn't get to Xbox Live, and I was trying to figure out what was going on, so I turned it off, turned it on a few times, and I still couldn't get it. Then I took it apart again, and I saw that the Wi-Fi board that sits on top of the metal shield uh, when you first that, that is covering the top of the Xbox One, uh, it is screwed onto that. But then there is a there is a connector that goes from that. Uh, from that Wi-Fi board, from the wireless controller board, like the it, it, it controls both your Wi-Fi and your Bluetooth, and you know your 2.4 gigahertz for your controller. It, it controls all that. It, it's just the wireless board itself. Um, it is physically connected, so it is screwed into the top of that metal piece, that shield, and then underneath uh, there is a cable that is running that connects to the Xbox One motherboard. I missed that, so easy enough. I just popped it back in put the system back together, and I turned it back on. And when I turned it on, it didn't do anything. It didn't display. It didn't do anything. So I tried to turn it off. I couldn't turn it off at all. It wasn't responding. It wasn't beeping or anything. So I had to physically unplug it from the back of the console. Then I plugged it back into power and turned it on, and I got a image. just like It just said it was a black screen, and it said preparing console. And there was no image of the Xbox One console itself that I would typically see for an update, but there was just a progress bar from 0 to 100 at the bottom. And I had to wait like two minutes. And I took a picture because I would never seen this before. Um, what ended up happening on there was, let me see, I, I'm just trying to, yeah, it was the Wi-Fi board, I had disconnected that, I would reconnected that. And then I think the other thing that I had messed up admittedly that i forgot to connect this the last thing was the front panel uh, and that front panel allows you to use the sync button the eject button and the power button i had not hooked that up so i had to turn on the console using the controller so at this point again i i had you know booted up the console just fine without the wi-fi board but i couldn't really do much so turned it off reconnect the wi-fi board accidentally did not plug in the um the, the front uh the, the front faceplate i didn't plug that in properly so that wasn't being used and i noticed at that point when it was in that exact state so the wi-fi board was plugged back in but the front panel was disconnected um that's when i got into that preparing console screen and then i went through the entire reinitialization process like i had to hook up a controller i had to press the a button i had to set where this console was physically located i had to set the time zone i had to add the accounts because all of like it looked like the console wiped itself completely which i was like okay there wasn't anything important on there so you know I, all of our accounts are you know just microsoft sign-in accounts all our save data is backed up onto the cloud the games sure it's gonna be annoying to reinstall 50 gigabyte games but you only had like 10 games on there so no big deal uh but when it came down to it i popped my account on there because i wanted to see if it was still my home xbox because the way my brothers and i set it up um uh, 
They get to mooch off me. I let them do that because I'm the cool older brother of the two. Uh, but so I buy the games, I buy the Xbox Live, and I have their console that I never ever use set as my home console. So I sign into my account first. And I noticed once I signed in, it imported in all my settings, all that stuff that was fine. But all their games were on there. And all the console specific settings, aside from the ones I had to reinitialize, like the time zone and internet and all that stuff, were still on there. And I even went as far as to see, okay, let me check that this is still my home Xbox. And that console was still registered as my home Xbox, which I guess is more plausible because that is more controlled on the Microsoft server side of things. Uh, like even even as back as as far back as the Xbox 360, for example. Like if you make an account on your Xbox 360, by default, the account the system that you make that account on is the home console. And even if you wipe that system, that is still the home console. Uh, you'd have to, you know, go through the license transfer process and such if need be. But either way, uh, on the Xbox One, I noticed that that was still my home console. So for some reason, I had to reinitialize it. And all the accounts were wiped, but all of the data was still there. Save game data, applications, games themselves, everything was still there. And it really perplexed me because I, I'm wondering if it was just kind of a security flag that was raised in a way. And, and I'm not even sure if that would be appropriate because typically if you think of flag, you think of like a risk or you think of, you know, a ban flag or something. Um, I'm thinking if there was just kind of a security measure that was tripped where the console just kind of realized something weird was going on. Like it booted up just fine. And then it booted up three times without the Wi-Fi board connected. And then it booted up uh, without the faceplate connected properly the front panel connected so maybe with some type of combination of that the xbox one just kind of as a security feature threw this out and said hey uh there's something weird going on with this system as a security measure to make sure nothing gets messed up here we're going to wipe the accounts and kind of soft reset this system like the application data is fine the save data is fine but we got to get the accounts off this machine in case there's something nefarious going on and I guess I just want to know if anybody has had something like that happen to them with the Xbox One, uh, whether repairing it or what have you on there. Because out of all the systems I've owned, all the ones I've messed with, all, all that other fun stuff, I've never run into that issue. And it was easily resolvable. Uh, and it was my own damn fault because I didn't connect stuff up properly. Um, that was the one I messed up with the most. The PS4 Pro, fine. The 360, fine. The Xbox One, that's where I had the issues with, of course. Um, but... I, I guess I just, again, I just want to know if anybody's run into that. Because it was very strange, and I'm just thinking it's kind of a security measure that I tripped, maybe? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> oh, man. So, one last thing I want to talk about here before I finish this up is uh, the thing I talk about at the end of every single episode. And that is, what games am I playing? So I, you know, I don't have my Switch on me right now. Because I typically look at, you know, the games I'm playing and such on there. Uh, first of all, I only finished one game this month so far. Uh, I did end up finishing, I, I bought this game and I finished it within a day. I do need to get some other endings and such. Uh, but it is called A Summer with the Shiba Inu. Now, it is a visual novel. It is from Radalika Games, which I've grown to really like their games. I played several of them last year. I've been still playing them this year. And they typically do, like, 
interesting kind of off the wall, maybe 30 minute to two, three hour games. Their games are typically pretty short uh, and they're pretty budget friendly as well. So I had kept seeing screenshots of this game, A Summer, a summer with a Shiba Inu, and it is a visual novel with <laughs> with dogs, with Shiba Inus, and there's a Labrador in there as well, uh, but it is a visual novel with dogs. It's like crappy clip art and such. Like it is, it is meant to look crappy on purpose, and I kind of bought it because, one, I was like, oh, it looks cute and funny, and two, I was like, okay, this is probably just going to be like, I don't know, some some shitty meme game all right and it was on sale for eight bucks so i said you know what sure um it's gonna expire tomorrow so let me do this now because I, I i keep looking at it on the eShop. so i paid eight bucks i decided to get it it was not what i expected at all <laughs> now i'm not going to sit here and say it's amazing or it's a work of art or anything and i'm not even gonna necessarily recommend it because i know that visual novels are not for everyone and I know even if you're into visual novels, you're probably not going to be super into this. Now, there is the funny, jank aspect to it of, oh yeah, it's a crappy-looking visual novel. Uh, there's also the kind of the meme-worthy aspect to it of that, that same reason. And the cuteness factor of, oh, it's a bunch of dogs just thrown into the game. Th this is funny. But when it came down to the actual story... When I say it's deep, I'm not saying like, oh my god, this is completely mind-blowing, because it's not. It's nothing that is not original, it's nothing that hasn't been done before, but my god, for a game called A Summer with a Shiba Inu that I was just thinking was going to be, at, at most, I thought it was going to be a shitty, meme-worthy dating sim with dogs. Like, that's what I thought it would be, just from a glance. And then it ended up being something so much darker, and so much more complex and deeper. <laughs> And just because visual novels, you know, you read them, you get the story out of them, the whole purpose of playing them is to read them for that story, I really don't want to spoil it or talk about it too much further, uh, in case anybody here wants to pick it up and try it out. But my god, I'll just say, it's nothing like I expected, and that's certainly not a bad thing. Um, it definitely stayed as long as it needed to. It's short. It's two to four hours long. I do need to go through and get the other endings on there because I didn't fully finish it. But to the point I played it, I was able to get two of the endings on there. So, so yeah. <laughs> that might be... I'm just looking at this. That might be one of the... Maybe the weirdest pickup and game I've played through this year. But it was great. At the same time, like, it was great. Like, my God, I certainly wasn't expecting that. <laughs> so, Summer with the Shiba Inu, that's the only game I end up finishing. And as for any other games I am currently playing right now, um, there is another visual novel. I, I'm totally blanking on the name right now. It is, um, you know what? You know what? I'm just going to have to type it out here. Was this called it wasn't that it wasn't that it started with a k and i'm trying to remember you know what i'm not even going to i won't even have it here this is what i'm gonna do how about this I i'm gonna hold on to it for the time being i'm gonna try and finish it up for next month's episode and i'll talk to you all about it then but there is some visual novel that i'm totally blanking on the name of 
that I'm playing right now. And it is it is better than I expected. It did go on sale, which is why I've kind of been thinking about picking it up. Because uh, it's a visual novel that is kind of a mystery, and it's a Connect 3 at the same time. Like a Connect 3 game, in a way. So it's more engaging than a visual novel typically is. But I think it was like, it was something absurdly cheap. Like the developer had an anniversary, and because of their anniversary, they decided to put it up for like, I bought this game for like less than $2 digitally. Which was great, because I I kept seeing the game drop in price. Sometimes it'd be like $20. $15. I think the lowest I ever saw it physically go was like 13 bucks, And even then I was like, maybe. Because I heard really conflicting things about it. But at this point, when it was like $2 on the eShop, I said, oh, absolutely, this is a no-brainer. I'm going to pick it up. Even if I play an hour of it and I don't enjoy it, like that's totally worth the $2 or whatever it is I'm paying. I think it was even less, crazy enough. But the point is, I decided to pick it up on there. Uh, I've been having a lot of fun with it. It's going by quicker than I expected. The Connect 3 aspect is actually pretty fun. Um, and it is like it looks good for a visual novel. Again, I can't think of the name directly here. Let me let me just get this because this is going to drive me nuts. All right, that took me admittedly longer than I expected because I don't have my Switch on me. I don't feel like running to go grab it and such, but it is Kododama, The Seven Mysteries of Fujisawa. That's what it is. So again, I've, I've actually really enjoyed it uh, to the point where, you know, it, if I saw it again for, you know, 15, 20 bucks somewhere, I would totally pick up the physical copy because I think it's well worth it. Uh, in the meantime, though, while I was looking that up as well, I was just trying to look up, like, visual novel games, Switch, that starts with a K, something like that, and, and I found this article on imore.com about, like, the best visual novel games for the Switch, and uh, this just annoys me a little more than it should, because uh, I think they... they they went a little too far on this with the the term of visual novel because Night in the Woods, I love this game. I've talked about it before. absolutely love it. That's not a visual novel, though. It really isn't. There's one other game on here, Oxenfree. That's it. Uh, Oxenfree, I wouldn't count that as a visual novel. Uh, these games are like visual novels, but they're not. Oh, well, last one I'm seeing on here, uh, The Coma Recut. I've only played about an hour of that. That is definitely not a visual novel. That is... A ton of gameplay, intense gameplay, because you're actually walking around, you have to run around, escape things, not die and such. There is a lot, like, visual novels are, like, typically 95%, you know, novel and 5% gameplay. Uh, typically, that's what you're going to get. No, so that's... Huh, alright, that just annoys me a little more than, than I wanted to on there. But either way, it, those games are not visual novels. So the last game I'm playing, which I'm surprised is not, well, yeah, no, it came out this year. I'm surprised it's not on that list, uh, but it's not a visual novel either, is Catherine Full Body. That's the other game I'm playing right now. That is one of those games I, you know, kind of coming off my $60 uh, game talk, I decided to pick up that game. Decided to go pick it up. Uh, I got it on launch because I want to support it. I love Catherine, uh, the original game. That's one of the best surprise games I played on the Xbox 360. Didn't know anything about it. I don't even know what possessed me to try it out. But I tried it, and it, I tried it specifically at a time I really wasn't playing games, but I was slowly getting back into them. And I loved that game. That game gripped me. Absolutely loved it. The only problem is, even though I really have all this love for it, there's a lot of details I've forgotten about it. So I decided to pick up Catherine Full Body. Funny enough, I've kind of triple dipped at this point, because I have Catherine on the 360, and I actually got Catherine Full Body on PS4, 
and did not play it. But then when it came out on Switch, there's so many games when they come out on Switch, I'm like, oh, hell yeah, I want to play that because I'd love to have it portable and on the screen. I can choose between both. So that was just an instant pickup for me. So I got it on Switch. I'm actually playing it this time around. I'm on day five or night five, and I barely knew anything about it. Um, in short, compared to the last one, as opposed to dealing with two women, you're now dealing with three. Um, and I know one person, I doubt they're even watching this, but this is an example, because I, I just kind of want to explain this. I, I made a mention of this game, Catherine, in my last episode of Mod Chat, and somebody was asking, oh, how are you liking it? Um, is it really worth picking up? Because I, I saw there's maybe like, you know, th- th- there's a third woman in there, but I'm not sure how much it adds to the game. Yo, it adds so much to the game. I was shocked. It's not enough to be a full sequel. It really isn't. Um, so you can't classify it as a sequel. I guess maybe you could say it's more of a director's cut or maybe even a reimagining of it because like the original story is all still there, don't get me wrong. And the other thing is you can't choose between it. So you can't choose between Catherine and Catherine Full Body or playing through DLC. Like it, it, this is completely integrated into the core game itself. So that's why it's kind of a retelling director's cut of Catherine, which is awesome. Um, so one thing I would actually recommend, like even though I'm not even all the way done with this yet, if you are playing full body or you decide to pick it up and you really love it and you play through it maybe like once or twice, I'd recommend even try picking up the original Catherine on PS3 or 360 just so you get that like vanilla version of it and not have the extra story material. Granted, the extra story material coming from someone who's a fan of the original, it's great. I love it so far. Like, so far, I think this is the better version of it. But I would be interested myself in going back to play the original just to see the differences, so to speak. Because, like, the, the core stuff is going to be the same. But again, you have you have an entire new person that is just directly integrated into the story. And I didn't really follow the development of it all that much. But from what people have told me, uh, this woman, she was supposed to be in the original Catherine game. And for whatever reason, um, they did not have her in there. So this is kind of, in a way, like the the true version of the game. But it's great if you've never played it before. It's great if you've already played Catherine. It's great if you played it a while ago and you like it, but you forgot a lot of the details, such as me. So uh, I can definitely recommend that. It's also been the games that I've personally been playing. Yeah, I think I think we're good at this point here. I got this to be around now, or so I'm happy with that. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, uh, this is that's about it for this episode of Mario's Minute. I really hope you all enjoyed it. I hope I was able to entertain you all for the past hour or so. And we got to pick a magic word, don't we? In case you do not know, uh, I like to pick a keyword. And I ask people to use this word in the comment section of the YouTube upload. So if you are watching this on YouTube, please use this word in the comments. Uh, if you are listening to the audio version, come to the YouTube upload on the Mr. Mario 2011 channel and use this word in here. And the word that we're going to be using today is account. Because I, I was asking about details about the Xbox One issue that I ran into. Uh, so I'd, I'd still like to know about that if you've had any weird things like that happen with your xbox one use the word account uh if you've had your account hacked before use your word use the word account uh if you're tired of using passwords for all your accounts use the word account if you use the word account in your comment on the youtube upload i will know that you made it to the end of this episode anyways that is about it for this episode of mario's minute again 
It's been your, yeah, I've had a fun time being a host this time around. But anyways, this is Mr. Mario signing off. Thank you all for listening and watching, everyone. Until next month.